Thank you all for being here this morning. Um, if you would, uh, take your Bible and let's open up to the book of Psalms. We're going to look at, we're going to begin by looking at the 19th Psalm. The 19th Psalm. Interestingly, just as a matter of trivia, uh, the book of Psalms does not actually have chapters. It actually are, the chapters are actually called Psalms. So, uh, if you have a Bible that's right, it will not say chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4 in the Psalms. It'll say Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 3, Psalm 4. Of course, I'm just picking that's... But the, the Scripture does refer to the Psalms as Psalms rather than chapters. Um, we're going to look at Psalm number 19. What I would like to do, if the Lord would help us, is I would like to begin a study... Uh, this morning, I don't know how long it might last, could last a long time and might not last that long, not really sure at this point, but I'd like to do a, a study together on Psalm number 119. Um, uh, and of course, the, and we'll get, we'll get into this in just a minute and a, a lot more detail, but uh, the 119th Psalm is, has one theme and one theme only, and that theme is the Word of God. In fact, we're going to see that the 119th Psalm actually omits a great deal of uh, a great deal of other things that you would expect to find in an Old Testament book or even a New Testament book. It's just not there because all of the emphasis is funneled down into one thing, and that's the Word of God. All right. So, but we're going to begin by looking at Psalm number 19 because there's a a fair amount of background information that I would like to give to you um, for, uh, before we kind of get into our study and look at the verses in detail. So let's look at Psalm number, number 19. Let's pray together, and then we, we will read this psalm uh, together. Our Father, uh, we come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you. Uh, we thanking you for the opportunity to meet together. Lord, thank you for those that are here this morning and those that can't be here but are listening in. Thank you for uh, what I trust is a desire uh, in the hearts of your people, not to just uh, be here, not to just um, uh, to, to be present in the roll call, but also to come to uh, with a genuine desire to hear what you have to say, to hear what it is that you have spoken. Lord, as we begin to look in, into the 119th Psalm, uh, Lord, I just pray that you would guide our study. You would guide me as I prepare the lessons and, and attempt to teach the things that you have spoken. But I pray especially that you would guide the hearts of each and every person in our class to be attentive, to be desirous to be uh, studious uh, to what your word says. And I pray especially, Lord, that both myself and all the uh, people here and that, that listen throughout the study, I pray that you would, uh, you would grow us up in our relationship with you by means of your word, that you would help the, and you would cause that your word would have an influence, a great and a mighty influence and effect upon our lives that it would not just be, be something that we have, but it would be something that really impacts our life and as your word declares. So, Lord, would you please guide our study even this morning as we look at what, what the scriptures say. Lord, 
Teach us and help us, Lord. We have no ability except the grace and help that you give. So, Lord, we trust you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm number 19, um, verse number 1, the, uh, the heading says to the chief musician, a psalm of David. It says this, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. And them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth, speaking of the sun, is from the end of of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Now let's pause there a second. I want to draw your attention uh, to just a couple of, of uh, for you know, pardon the pun, a couple of words. Uh, so look at verse number, uh, verse number one, verse number two. Notice in verse number one, there is a declaration. There is a declaration. A declaration is something that is generally done by means of words. By means of words. And then in verse number two, you see this. Dan today, notice the terms, uttereth speech. Again, words. And then uh, the end of verse two says, nine to night showeth knowledge. Verse three, there is no speech nor language where there, notice that, voice is not heard. All right, and you skip down a little bit further. Um, it talks about the sun. And so, of course, this is, uh, this is a, a reference to what we, what we, in the theological terminology, we call general revelation. What do I mean by that? General revelation is the revelation of God. In other words, this is what, this is, these are the things, the knowledge, the information that God has revealed to every person. Okay, that's why we call it general revelation. And he has revealed these things by means of what he has created. So anybody who lives under the sun, anybody who who uses uh, God's earth, who breathes God's air, anyone who lives under the heavens that God created can hear and understand the declaration and can, can, uh, can understand and comprehend the speech that God is speaking to him. So, now listen, this is one of the key reasons, this is one of the key reasons and one of the answers to the question, which uh, the question is often asked, usually it's not, oft, it's not asked uh, sincerely, but the question of what about the people who have never heard about Jesus? What happens to those people? Uh, it, do they, if they die, do they, do they go to heaven? I'll just give you the answer. The answer is, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life, period. Now, now when you answer a question like that directly, of course, that sometimes can rub some people the wrong way. But what you have to understand is, 
that there is a great deal of revelation that God has already given to mankind. Now, having been a missionary in a country that is pagan, that is that where there are, uh, there are, uh, there's worship that is not of God or anything that is really called God, uh, at least not in the, the terminology that we would use. What you do find as you, as you minister in those places and talk to those people is that many of them are aware and believe and acknowledge, sometimes readily acknowledge, that uh, there is a Creator and that they also acknowledge and understand that the Creator, when they see all that is around them, uh, the Creator is not the God that they worship. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's, almost, common, that's almost common knowledge. Uh, for example... Um, it just well, it just seems like it seems like when you talk to people in that in that case that they understand there's a creator, but they don't make a connection between the creator and and what they worship. They just don't make that connection. And uh, many, like in Cambodia, for instance, there's uh, there are creation stories. There's creation stories about you know various like how how the world came into being, but they're understood to be. They're understood to be, in essence, fairy tales. They're understood to be fables and myths that kind of are kind of woven into their, their particular culture. You know, it, you know, there's one where there's a there's an alligator and a woman. A woman there's like a woman's hair pours out water onto the earth, and then there's a big turtle, and the whole world came from a big turtle that came up out of the ocean, and I, stuff like that. This just is not believable. It's you know, we, you know. You, you, you hear people, skeptics, you'll hear them say things like, oh, the fairy tales in the Bible and how they're unbelievable. And, you know, all cultures have their creation stories. and all that. But when you compare what the Scripture says and what all those other, all, the, all these uh, cultures' stories, what do you find? You find one is, is uh, just an absolutely incredible, unbelievable fable. And then you have the creation story in the Scripture, although it there are, is supernatural it is presented and put forth as fact, as historical record. And that's not what you find in these other cultures. But going back to our original subject, so you have these, you have these, uh, these cultures have these, uh, these stories about creation and, and how these things came to be, and then you have the gods that they worship, and they're not the same. Many times in Cambodia... I would explain to people, one of the first things we talked to people about was the Creator, how that, you know, basically I would start when I would uh, meet someone new and I would set up a time to study the Bible with them, I would start with Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Because in that one verse is a great deal of information and truth. It introduces the Creator, Right? That's what this is talking about. You see, all the things that we see, the firmament, the heavens, um, the, 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 the circuit of the sun, all of the things in nature, the stars, the planets. I love looking at the stars. I love looking at the stars. That is, a, at some point in my life, I want to get a, a nice telescope you know, a consumer-grade telescope so that I can see the rings of Saturn and so that I can see the, 
the dot on Jupiter. Uh, I love the stars and the planets and the heavens. Because when you look at that, here's what this verse is, these verses are saying. When you look at that, it is speaking. That's why we call it revelation. And here's, going back to Romans chapter 1, we won't, we won't get into this uh, today, but going back to Romans chapter 1, the Bible teaches that there are two things that the creation, God's creation, tells us, speaks to us about God. Two things, two things. Number one, God has almighty power. All right? In other words, just like the verse says in verse number three, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So they they hear it and understand it in Cambodia. They hear it and understand it in, in any country in Africa, any country in Europe. They hear and understand it in in the, the hollers of Nepal, they hear and understand it. I should say hollows uh, of Nepal. They hear and understand it in every language. This is something that everyone understands. This is, this is something that God has spoken to them. Now, I'm not talking about words as in words that, you know, like we would normally say it. But this is a language that God has used to declare His glory. The first thing, His almighty power. And number two, His Godhead or the, His essence as God that is distinct from, distinct from and higher than mankind. Those two things are what creation tells mankind. So, going back to the original question, what about all those people who have never heard about Jesus? Number one, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life, period. Right? However, there's a great deal of revelation that God has already given to man. And it is absolutely a scriptural principle that what, whatever man does with the revelation that God has given him determines what God does with him after that. Right? As God gives man... Uh, his revelation, if he receives it, then God gives him more. It's true of us as believers now. You only grow, listen, you and I only grow up to the point that we receive what God teaches us. And if at any point we stop, if at any point we resist, if at any point we rebel and we do not receive what God is teaching us, we stop there. Until such time, as we submit to Him and we, and we yield to what He's teaching us and we receive it, and at that time we continue to grow. That's just the way the Lord deals with us and, and because every revelation that God gives to us is an act of His grace. So we cannot, and, and I've, I've actually spoken to people about this. I've talked to people, skeptics, and I've explained that to them, and they scoff. They scoff because... This, listen, this society in which we live has been so absolutely warped by the, the doctrines of evolution, by the doctrines of evolution, that the very things, that, and this is one way we know that evolution is a doctrine of devils. We can talk, you can talk about science, all that stuff, all you want, all day long, but it is a doctrine of devils because it is designed to counteract and undo the very purpose of creation, which is to declare these things about God. And so by evolution, the evolution has, has uh, it's, it's been used to nullify 
this speech, to, to muddle it and to, 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 make it, to make it unintelligible because these doctrines have corrupted the mind. So, you know, you've ever heard the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees, right? That's kind of like what, what's, what's, what's been done is people get so arrogant, they get so, the assume, uh, they assume themselves to be so smart that they look up to heaven and what should strike them with awe they're not impressed with it anymore because they think they understand it, even though they don't. They think they comprehend it, even though they don't. They totally miss the, the revelation God has given. So that's what we call general revelation. That's what's spoken of here. But then we go down to verse 7. Look at what it says. Verse 7 says, is something totally different. It is, similarly, it is revelation. But verse 7 begins a section that is far beyond general revelation that comes from God's creation. Verse 7 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be, to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward." Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let not them have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So from verse 7 down through verse number 11, what you have is not general revelation that is spoken to all. You have specific revelation. You might call special revelation in which God has taken... Now listen, this is the key, and this is where, we get, where it kind of overlaps with Psalm 119. Where God has taken human words and has expressed Himself and has revealed Himself, His character, His will, his desires, his purposes. He intentionally and on purpose, with purpose, used human words to reveal himself far, far beyond what the creation could reveal by him. So you have in creation, God, creation is a revelation of God, and in creation, God reveals things about himself, and everyone can understand that. But in, but in the Scripture, in the Scripture, God reveals even more about Himself. And He, re, he reveals a great deal about His character and about His, his uh, purpose and His will in His Word. So God took human language and He expressed Himself. And that's where I kind of want to park for a minute. That's where I want to park for a minute before we look at Psalm 119. 
Let me find my uh, section in my notes here I want to look at. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 119. And I just want to um, kind of examine it generally together. We're not going to read, don't worry, we're not going to read all 176 verses. How many of your Bibles in Psalm 119 have divisions every eight verses? Right? What is that? How many of your, how many of you have a Bible that has a heading on each one of those divisions? What does the heading say? Somebody just blurted it out. It's fine. Hebrew alphabet. Hebrew alphabet. All right. Is it in English or in Hebrew? Sometimes it's both. But if it was only in Hebrew, it wouldn't help you, right? Because it's like we don't speak Hebrew, read Hebrew. But you, what you see is every eight verses, you see a division, all right? And here, here's the way this works. There are 176 verses in the, uh, the, uh, the 119th Psalm. And uh, if you divide 176 by 22, which is the number of, Hebrew, of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet, if you divide that, you get eight. So 176 divided by 22 gives you eight. So what you have is you have... In Psalm 119, you have 22 sets of eight verses, and each set has a heading of the Hebrew letter for each of the 22 Hebrew letters from Aleph to Tav at the very end. So A to Z, we might say A to Z, Alpha to Omega, just a different language. And it's all in order. Now, why is it like this? In English, it's not apparent. So I, what I did is I brought a, a commentary. This is called The Treasury of David. This is probably, right here, as far as the works of, of men, this is probably the definitive work on the book of Psalms, written by Charles Spurgeon. It's, three, it's uh, five volumes, and it covers all of the Psalms. There's some really good stuff in here. But I want to read you something in Psalm 119 that I thought was really good. So here's the way the Psalm, Psalm 119 is, um, well, let me find it. There it is. There we go. All right. I found it. Okay. So you have 22 sets of eight verses. Each set begins with, has a heading of the Hebrew letter, and there's a reason for that. And it is because that for each one of those eight verses, now I'm talking about in the original Hebrew text, okay, which is what our Bible's translated from, the original Hebrew text. Each one of those eight verses in that section began with that letter that is the heading of that section from Aleph to Tav, all of, all of those sections, each verse began with a letter of that section's heading. Does that make sense? All right. So what I, what I did here is uh, I, fa- I came across this in Spurgeon's book, which I thought was interesting to give us kind of a, an understanding of what's happening here. Because it's not apparent in English, of course, because English is translated from Hebrew. But what this writer did is this writer took... This writer took the first section, the Aleph section, the first eight verses, and he kind of rearranged the words so it has the same meaning, but he did so so that every, 
every verse begins with A, like it would here, but in English, just to kind of help us understand what's happening. So I'll read it to you. A blessing is on them that are undefiled in the way and walk in the law of Jehovah. A blessing is on them that keep his testimonies and seek him with their whole heart. Also on them that do no wickedness, but walk in his ways. A law hast thou given unto us, that we should diligently keep thy commandments. Ah, Lord, that my ways were, were, made, so, uh, were, were made so direct that I might keep thy statutes. And then shall I not be confounded, while I have respect unto all thy commandments. As for me, I will thank thee with an unfeigned heart, when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. And I will I have unto thy ceremonies. O forsake me not utterly. So in all eight verses, this writer has, has demonstrated kind of what's happening under the surface that's not apparent to us. Now here's why this is important. Here's why this is important. Everyone hold up your Bible. Hold up your Bible in the air. All right? This is a written book, right? This book is written in language. You could put it down. Everybody, like, oh man. The reason why that you can hold it up and look at it is because it's in writing. Listen, we, our faith is not, hear me now, resting in oral traditions that have been passed down from generation to generation. Our faith is resting in a book that God led men to write. Now, why is that significant? Listen, if you do, if you, I don't know if you're nerdy, you nerd out like I do, sometimes you look at these, these stupid specials they have on the Discovery Channel or whatever, these, you know, that kind of stuff. And what do they always say? They always describe the Bible as essentially oral tradition. You know why? Because that attacks at its, at its truth, its accuracy. Because you know, you've ever, have you ever played the game where you used to tell a secret to each person in a circle, and, and by the time it gets back to, to you, to the original speaker, it's to, the message is totally different. And that's what they're implying, if not directly stating they're implying that, oh, well, the Bible's nothing but a collection of oral traditions that were passed down from generation to generation, beginning probably after the, uh, the, the return of the exiles from Babylon, which is actually really, really late in history, right? When actually the, 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 the first mention of the Scripture being copied down goes way back to the time of Moses, right? When... Am we'll see this in a minute, when Amalek attacked uh, Israel when they came out of Egypt and God defeated Amalek and then God said, Moses, write this down. Write this down. Listen, anything written down is no longer an oral tradition. But here's what's important about Psalm 119. This, the structure of this psalm is is set up around, listen, the written language of Hebrew. Now, what do I mean by that? 
if you when you have you have two different you have two different kind of categories of language. You have spoken language and you have written language. Did you know? Let, let me give an example. Way back in the day, this is back in the I believe it was in the I want to say in the 1700s when when the first people from the West went to what is now Vietnam. They met Vietnamese people, and you know what they spoke? They spoke Vietnamese. They spoke Vietnamese, but their writing was not as, as it is now. So someone, I think it was a, a Catholic missionary, took the spoken language of Vietnamese and actually developed a written language based upon their spoken language. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so don't fall asleep on me. So you have spoken language and you have written language. But what you have, what you have in, in Psalm 119 is not just spoken language. You have the structure of the psalm is oriented around letters, which are written. Letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Why is that important? It is important because that which is written down, that which is written down is permanent. Right? That which is written down is permanent. And that which is written down is immutable. That is, it does not change. Let me give you an example. Look at, uh, hold your place here and look at Exodus chapter 31, if you would. Exodus chapter 31. You might be surprised to know that this is one of the very first references, not the first, but one of the very first references to writing in the Bible. Exodus chapter 31, verse number um, 18. says this, And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables, stone tablets, right? Two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. All right? Hold your place there. You don't have to hold your place. Go to Exodus 32. Chapter 32, verse number 15. So Moses goes up to the top of Mount Sinai, where God gives him the, the Ten Commandments and the law, the rest of the law. Okay? I want you to understand, God did two things. Number one, God spoke to Moses, right? That's oral, that's the, that's the spoken word of God. Of course, in the Old Testament, we know there are many, many examples where God spoke to prophets and various other people, and God conveyed His will, His purpose, the information, His revelation. Two men with the spoken word. That is perfectly fine, and that's the word of God, right? So God did that with Moses. He spoke to Moses not only the Ten Commandments, but all the rest of the law. In fact, God showed Moses all these different instruments that Moses would later oversee the building of those things, right? Everybody with me? The tabernacle? So God spoke those things to Moses, and then when God was finished, you know what He did? He took two tables of stone, 
And he wrote the Ten Commandments in those tables of stone. Look at chapter 32, verse 16, verse 15 rather. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand, and the tables were written on both their sides. And on the, on the one side and on the other, other were they written. And the tables were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. You know what you have in this? You know what, that, somebody, this trivia question. What did Moses do, this is a trick question, with these tables of stone? <laughs> he destroyed them. He destroyed them. Because he, he came down from the mountain and he saw the people were committing idolatry and, and all kinds of immorality and fornication and he cast them down in anger, which, which symbolized how they had broken God's law, right? Because the Ten Commandments are written there. And then God gave Moses another set, right? We know that, right? So that was the trick. So what did Moses, what happened? What was the final result of the second set that God gave Moses? Okay, correct. You are right. Once Moses had built the Ark of the Covenant, which is essentially a hope chest, basically, it's basically a chest, Overlaid with gold and had fancy decoration. But anyway, it had a lid called the mercy seat. And what God did, what God told Moses to do is to take the two tables of stone, the Ten Commandments, to put them inside of the Ark of the Covenant. And then they put the lid on. And they put that Ark of the Covenant inside of the tabernacle. And really, very few people had even, even, even had access to it. Now, we know later things happened, but there were other things that were placed in there. Anybody want to venture it as to what, what else was placed in there later? Yes, sir? Okay, Aaron's rod that budded and the golden pot of manna. But later we find, the scripture plainly says that later, after several, uh, many, many years had passed, the only thing that was left was the Ten Commandments, the two tables of stone. Now, let me ask you a question. This is why it's important for us to understand as we read Psalm 119. Centuries later, centuries later, when the Ark of the Covenant is in the temple, Solomon's temple, centuries after that, Solomon's dead, the kings, they're all gone. You know, probably, you know, nobody really knows what happened to the Ark of the Covenant, but imagine, you, you imagine, uh, the, just, just assume that the Ark of, Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem when the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and raised the temple to the ground, all right? So you assume they took it, right? You assume that. If on that day, when the temple was destroyed, right? It's like 583 B.C. or something like that. If you were to open the Ark of the Covenant and look at those two tables of stone, what would you find? Sir, you would find the very same thing that God had written and handed to Moses. The very same thing exactly. Why is that important? By putting his word in writing, he has made it permanent. 
right? By putting His Word in writing, He has made it unchanging. And that's what God has done. Not just the Ten Commandments, but the Scripture in general. The very, listen, the very concept of the Scripture means that it is permanent and it is unchanging. This is one of the reasons God gave us the Scripture. Now, why do I, why do I say this? It is because in Psalm 119, again, the very structure of the psalm is built upon the idea that God has written down His Word. He has written down His Word. So everything you read in Psalm 119 is not... I want to make sure I get this right. Everything you read in Psalm 119 and all the different references to God's Word in Psalm 119 are references to God's written Word. Written Word. Now, why is that important? These days, everybody talks about a Word from God, right? Everybody's got a Word. Every thought that passes through our mind every feeling that might well up in our bosom, right? Every idea, every whim, every sermon even that a preacher might preach, they all say it came from God. People murder their children and then lay the blame at God's feet. God told me to do it. They Listen, and I know that's an extreme example, but they, they take... They take this idea of the Word of God and they apply it and they say all of these different things, contradictory things, everything is coming from God. God said this, God said that, God said this, God said that. But when you opened the Ark of the Covenant and you looked at what's on those tablets, it would be the exact thing that God had said so many centuries before. Millennia before, really. It would be the exact same thing that God has said. So God gave us the written Word of God to settle all of that. So it is permanent and unchanging. This, this, church, this church is the reason why we are to be people of the Bible. Your ideas and my ideas are going to be different. right? What settles it is what God has written. What God has written. Now, not everything God spoke did He write. God spoke to prophets many, many times, and their messages were never recorded in the Scripture. What is recorded in the Scripture is what God wants to be permanent and unchanging. And it is the standard by which we judge all other things. This is what is, this is, what is in Psalm 119. So when you see, for instance... When you look at Psalm 119, and let's take as an example, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. What is thy word? What is this word in Psalm 119? This is not a private saying that God, you think God is speaking to you in your heart. No, no, no. This word is the scripture. 
what God has written and preserved and kept for us permanently. That is what's being spoken of here. So, why am I saying that? These things are not private things that we feel God is telling us. This is what God has given to all of us the same. And this is also why if we're faithful to what God says, what we believe should be the same as what other Christians have believed through, down through the last 2,000 years. And you know what? That's true. That's, that's, that's true to a large degree. That's true. Now, the last thing I want to mention is, and we'll get into some other things next week about the Word of God and, and kind of the different facets of it, but the last thing I want to mention is this idea of uh, the Word of God, the concept of the Word of God. And Psalm 19 that we read at the beginning kind of demonstrates this because you have two different kinds of revelation, two different kinds of speech. Number one, you have, you have it through the through the creation where God declares things and tells things and reveals things to mankind through creation. And then you have God's written word, which we also saw the law of the Lord beginning in verse 7. And that's the written word of God, the special revelation. But here's the thing. What is the word of God, whether it be spoken or through maybe like a prophet in the Old Testament or the written word of God? What is the idea with this? Because that's what Psalm 119 is about. The idea is, listen, Words, you know what words are? Words are vehicles of communication, right? Words are cars, and inside the car are thoughts. And that's what God has done. Think about, think about this. God has chosen to communicate with us. He has not left us in the dark. Now, whether you believe his communication is another story. But the fact remains that God has chosen to communicate with us, to express His thoughts to us in a way we can understand, in a way that accurately describes who He is and what He wants and what His purposes are. God did not have to do that. He could have kept His thoughts to Himself, but He has chosen to communicate with us. In other words, the eternal God stepped into time to, to, to talk to us. The very Bible that we read and hold is a testament to that. What it says reveals that, that God has something to say to us. He is not, as the deist would say, He has not wound up the universe and set it on its, set it, set it on its way and just say, have a nice eternity or whatever. That's not what God has done. He has chosen to communicate with us. This is why taking heed to God's word is so important. Because he did communicate with us. The medium of communication is words. Now, to conclude, look at Hebrews chapter 1 and we'll be finished. Hebrews 1, verse number 1. 
Notice this. God, I'll wait on you to get there. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Notice, God is speaking. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, the Son, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Here's the key. God spoke in time past. Now God is speaking through his, God spoke through his son. But the point is, is that God has something to say. We had better listen. We had better listen. It is a dangerous thing. It is a perilous thing to ignore what God has to say. Amen? It is. If God is speaking, we ought to, be, we ought to, we ought to listen. Let's pray.